Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, July 18th episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen A. Rate. You can find us at poetsandmuses.com, as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter at poetsandmuses.com. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast on your preferred podcast platforms. Since December of 2018, we have brought to you over 120 poets in 13 countries on five continents, and we hope to continue to do that with your support. And you can support us by going to poetsandmuses.com forward slash donate and donate via either PayPal or your preferred credit cards. With us today is Hector Castaneda, with whom we will be discussing his poem, Internalize Homophobia as Five Stages of Grief, a Fractured Erasure, and my poem, Frenzy. Before we do that, however, I am going to go over some virtual poetry events taking place during the week of July 19th. On Monday, July 19th, from 8 p.m. Central Daylight Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting his Poets Playground Playing Clean Open Mic via Instagram Live at Poets underscore Playground underscore. Again, that's at Poets underscore Playground underscore. On Tuesday, July 20th, from 7.30 p.m. British Time, Dead Women Poets Society will be hosting the Not in London seance with Bridget Minamore and Nina Menya Powell's you can find out more information and register at deadwomenpoets.com forward slash events. Again, that's at deadwomenpoets.com forward slash events. From 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Urban War NYC will be hosting their first draft open mic for those between the ages of 13 and 23. It's a virtual writing workshop and open mic series facilitated by Roya Marsh. You can find out more information and register at urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. Again, that's at urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. From 3 to 5 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time, Lighthouse Writers Workshop will be hosting their Hard Time Stemver Writing Workshop. You can find out more information at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. Again, that's at lighthousewriters.org slash workshops. From 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Mass Poetry will be hosting their U35 reading series featuring Dennis James Sweeney, Jack Giaour, Kylie Gillatly, and Maya Geddes. You can find out more information at masspoetry.org forward slash U35. U is the letter U. Again, that's at masspoetry.org forward slash U35. From 9 p.m. Central Daylight Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting his Poets Playground Playing Dirty Open Mic, again via Instagram Live, at poets underscore playground underscore. On Wednesday, July 21st, from 6 to 7 p.m. British Time, Milton Keynes Islamic Arts, Heritage, and Culture will be hosting an evening of poetry, you can watch the event at facebook.com forward slash mkiac. Again, that's at facebook.com forward slash mkiac. From 3 to 4.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, the Brooklyn Public Library will be hosting their new Utrecht Poetry Group. 
You can find out more information at bklynlibrary.org forward slash calendar. Again, that's at bklynlibrary.org forward slash calendar. From 3 to 5 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time, Lighthouse Writers Workshop will be hosting their Hard Times Arvada Writing Workshop. You can find out more information at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. Again, that's at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. From 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Dumore Baltimore will be hosting their World Tour Poetry Workshop. You can find out more information at domorebaltimore.org forward slash workshops events. Do is D-E-W. Again, that's domorebaltimore.org forward slash workshops events. From 7 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, the Hudson Valley Writers Center will be hosting their chapbook reading with Katie Ferris, Emily Lee Luan, and Isabella Decenti. You can find out more information at writerscenter.org forward slash calendar. Again, that's writerscenter.org forward slash calendar. From 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, Poet Center will be hosting their reading featuring Jane Monroe and Ian Williams. You can find out more information at poetscorner.ca. Again, that's at poetscorner.ca. From 8 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, Beyond Baroque Literary Arts will be hosting their poetry workshop with Louis Vet Resto. You can find out more information at beyondbaroque.org forward slash free underscore workshops dot html. Again, that's at beyondbaroque.org forward slash free underscore workshops dot html. On Thursday, July 22nd, from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Quince Orchard Library will be hosting their poetry evenings. You can find out more information at mcpl.libnet.info forward slash event forward slash 5153543. Again, that's mcpl.libnet.info forward slash event forward slash 5153543. From 3 to 5 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time, Lighthouse Writers Workshop will be hosting their Hard Times Edgewater Writing Workshop. You can find out more information at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. Again, that's at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. From 5.30 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time, Center for Contemporary Arts Santa Fe and the Witter Biner Foundation for Poetry will be hosting their workshop, Image and Imagination in Poetry, hosted by Elizabeth Jacobson. You can find out more information and register at ccasantafe.org. Again, that's at ccasantafe.org. From 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Nuijinan TV will be hosting their Nuijinan Scott Talent with CJ Grits, which showcases indigenous youths between 13 and 25 via Instagram Live. You can find out more information and RSVP at Nuijinan TV. That's N-W-E-J-I-N-A-N-T-V. Again, that's N-W-E-J-I-N-A-N-T-V.
from 7 to 9 p.m. Central Daylight Time, Shu R. Speaks will be hosting their Reverb Open Mic hosted by Lieutenant Suni. You can find out more information at truartspeaks.org forward slash events. Again, that's at truartspeaks.org forward slash events. From 8 to 10 p.m. Central Daylight Time, the South Dakota State Poetry Society will be hosting the Electronic Poetry Garden. You can find out more information at artssouthdakota.org forward slash event. Again, that's at artssouthdakota.org forward slash event. From 6 to 8 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, Museum of the African Diaspora will be hosting their open mic night featuring Ali Jones. You can find out more information at moadsf.org forward slash calendar. Again, that's at moadsf.org forward slash calendar. On Friday, July 23rd, from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. British time, Poetry LGBT will be hosting their Speak Your Truth writing workshop. You can find out more information by messaging the host, Andrina Leanne, via Instagram at survivor.andrina.leanne. That's survivor.andrina.leanne. Andrina is spelled A-N-D-R-E-E-N-A. Leanne is spelled L-E-E-A-N-N-E. From 1 to 2 p.m. British time, the Leeds Library will be hosting their Nautbook Verse with Ruth Steinberg. You can find out more information at theleedslibrary.org.uk forward slash events. Again, that's theleedslibrary.org.uk forward slash events. From 6 p.m. West Africa time, Graciano and Warham and Nepal Flower will be hosting their Corona versus Open Mic via Instagram Live at Graciano and Warham. That's G-R-A-C-I-A-N-O-E-N-W-E-R-E-M. Again, that's G-R-A-C-I-A-N-O-E-N-W-E-R-E-M. On Saturday, July 24th, from 8 to 9.30 p.m. India Standard Time, our past poet guest Umesh Mohikar will be hosting his Let's Unmesh Life open mic. You can find out more information and register at Let's Unmesh Life on Instagram. Again, that's at Let's Unmesh Life on Instagram. From 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, the Get Loud movement will be hosting their Loud and Queer event featuring Dan Lovato. You can find out more information and register at getloudmovement.org forward slash loud hyphen queer. Again, that's getloudmovement.org forward slash loud hyphen queer. On Sunday, July 25th from 6 p.m. British time, Run Your Tongue will be hosting their spoken word open mic night. You can find out more information at facebook.com forward slash events forward slash one three nine seven six two zero zero three zero six two zero four six two again that's at facebook.com forward slash events forward slash one three nine seven six two zero zero three zero six two zero four six two 
from 1 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, Changing Women Collective will be hosting their Blood Memory Poetry Workshop with our past poet guest, Amber McCrary. You can find out more information on Instagram at Changing Woman. Again, that's on Instagram at Changing Woman. Woman is spelled W-X-M-A-N. From 6 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Pure Ink Poetry, hosted by our past poet guest Brandon Williamson, will be hosting their Poetry Slam, which might be an in-person event. You can check that information at pureinkpoetry.com. Again, that's at pureinkpoetry.com. From 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Keep the Mic On will be hosting their weekly poetry event, and you can find out more information at keepthemicon.com. Again, that's at keepthemicon.com. And now let us welcome our poet guest of the week, Hector Castaneda. Hi, Hector. Thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. This is really amazing. I've like never been interviewed, so thank you for being my first ever interviewer. Really glad to hear that. Thank you. Um, glad you're here with us. You brought with you today your poem, Internalized Homophobia as Five Stages of Grief, a Fractured Evasure. Before we get into that, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I was born and raised in San Jose, here in California. The way I like got, like, got like, really into poetry is I went to see Santa Cruz and I found out about this place called the Santa Cruz Word Church that did um, open mics every Monday night mm-hmm. and um, I would go there every now and then but because of school I couldn't really but then my schedule started clearing up and eventually I started planning around it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd even go so far as to like get rides like back and forth between there and school because I'd have classes too but I'd still like go and I would, like, not really slam, but then I, like, got into it, like, even though I don't consider myself a slam poet. Mm-hmm. But um, this poem was actually written for um, a queer slam that I was in around the beginning of the pandemic. It was led by Akeem Rollins, mm-hmm. and it was called The Listen Slam, and so I kind of wrote this piece with that in mind but also just I was like very inspired by the poet Zach Goldberg. His poem was called I believe Blackout and it was like I think it was in five too. Um he basically started with a poem and each successive like two, three, four, five was like an erasure of the previous phrase, but like it oh it's just so mind blowing and like I did a little bit of that in that poem. And um I also do like music production and like graphic design i got a little bit of coding but i'm still learning that i dance sometimes and overall i just I, I just love art and i try to do it in basically any way that fills me with joy mm. in terms of your poetry practice you said you really got into it when you went to uc santa cruz um, and found this open mic slam. Had you written poetry by then or, or before then? Yeah, I didn't really call it poetry, just kind of like monologues or like just, I don't know. I would just write in my journal 
mm-hmm. and it wouldn't really like I don't know I didn't really think of it as poetry I, I just thought of it as me like rambling into mm-hmm. a page to kind of just process my emotions and like my subconscious I feel like I really started doing more creative writing and like freeform writing in seventh grade and of course I was like writing before that I was like writing a lot of fiction and like short stories with like little animal characters that I would make up based off of like pets or something Mm -hmm. and yeah I just always loved writing since like a very young age I can't really pinpoint like at what point in time I like wrote my first like short story because I was like really young I just read a lot of books as a kid Um, my parents told me that like I already knew how to read it before kindergarten Mm -hmm. I guess I just like read that much Um, and that really helped me like put myself out there once I actually got to like the poetry scene and my style has evolved like a lot since then being surrounded by poets really gave me the opportunity to like experiment with different kinds of styles and like see what other people were doing and what worked and what didn't work it gave me a chance to grow and like develop my writing into like style that I do today and when I was maybe like 14 I like witnessed these slam poets like right in front of me at like a youth group in Mm -hmm. San Jose called Makla and I was talking with like the slam coach and I was like oh I don't really know if this is for me because I felt like super intimidated by the intensity of slam like I thought it was cool like they were saying some amazing things but I just thought I could never perform like that. And here I am with this poem, and I performed it (laughs) quite a few times. Right. That's really interesting how you went from, you know, more writing on the page things to uh, slamming. Um, At the same time, I was wondering, going back again, do you remember what you wrote about in your first poem when you were younger? I feel it like the earliest most solid poem I can remember I remember it talking about like me navigating like consumerism and capitalism I had like a really radical teacher mm-hmm. um his name's Mr. Maluso he got me and like, a lot of students really into like environmentalism okay and yeah it was like both really great and really scary I read this book called The Story of Stuff, mm. and it basically broke down, like, the entire process from, like, the harvesting of, of, like, minerals and things to create something from, like, the, the manufacturing and the selling of it, disposal mm-hmm. of it, and it was, like, really amazing and really overwhelming for me to read that, mm. like, at a young age. Because then, like, I felt like the whole world around me was, like, scary and, like, toxic and, like, I can't Mm. buy this, can't buy that. (laughs) Um, And, like, I I just got, like, really paranoid um, Mm. of, like, every little thing, like, oh, my God, does this have this kind of plastic, this or that? Of course, that wasn't the intention of the book, but, like, I mean, by the end of it, um, I felt, like, much better 
Mm. Um, just like halfway through, I like freaked out. And like, I remember being his random memory, being at the mall, like looking around, feeling like everything in here is like gonna harm me somehow. Like, oh, the paint they use probably is like emitting this and like the food that these people are eating really has this and that. And like, it's not like those things aren't happening. But, like, also, it's not like they are, like, without a doubt. But, like, anyways, um, just, I just didn't allow myself to, like, live mm. without overthinking everything. Mm. I don't know how else I would have processed that, but maybe I did need to go through that to, like, realize, like, we're all just trying our best. And so I'm going to try my best in a different way mm. and not stress about eating an Oreo or something. How old were you when you wrote that poem about consumerism? I was like 13, oh, 14. Wow. Yeah, that book must be a lot to deal with because, I mean, a lot of it is true, right? A lot of the more commercial stuff that we eat, especially mass-produced foods, can be very bad. Like, fast foods can be very bad for our bodies. And, you know, how electronics are made, are it's devastating not only for the environment, but also for people who are working along the supply chain. So, especially yeah. as you're going through puberty, I imagine it must have been really tough to balance all of it, right? Um, oh, yeah. I just, like, questioned my entire life. Like, okay. like I, I really had... Mm. an existential crisis oh, um i'm glad you uh have been able to process it and have decided on what you personally are going to do about it which is which is good i think obviously it's not good to uh completely cut off your ability to enjoy life at the same time you also have to balance that with some kind of awareness especially if you want to be you know a responsible kind of person in living in this world, right? Yeah. yeah. I think this is a good time for you to share your poem with us, which talks a little bit more about your personal experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Internalize homophobia as five stages of grief. A fractured erasure after Zach Goldberg. One, denial. I earthquake the radiance of my queer, deny its sun rays. I'd rather unbecome into a straight line, hide my spectrum from the cathedral of my uncle's homophobia. I push an erect bell tower against my spine when my masculinity slouches. A man's erection is just a monolith unable to replace my Eucharist too. Anger. I loathe my queer, it's radiant moonlight. I cut my tongue into a heterosexual sunrise. I I scream at God when his halos don't suffocate the queer out my throat. I pray violently for the last supper of my queer. I shove a bell tower into my spine each time I lust for Adam and not Eve. Three. 
bargaining. I exchange my body with my straight star below the horizon. Body avoids dying. Supernovas of body reject grieving themselves into shattered, stained glass. Less hetero joy than homophobia can gaslight. Bare-chested locker room boy becomes forbidden fruit. A haunting bane of my reflection. My stardust implodes into itself. Limbs of broken mirrors with less galaxy than sacred. I become prayer. I survive by crucifying my body to please an unwritten Bible. God's dick dissolves in my hand. I'm a corpse buried under my ego, so I skin a preacher's tongue till God unwrites my name with less red ink than black holes. I'm gravitated with grief, more wrecked lantern than drunken prismatic sun rays. I'll phoenix myself for fucking ever if I have to soak in the sun for Depression, my star below the horizon is dying. Supernovas grieving into shattered, stained glass. Less hetero joy than homophobia. Bare-chested locker room boy becomes haunting of my reflection. My star just implodes in broken mirrors. Less galaxy than prayer. I survive by crucifying my body to please God. I'm living as a corpse buried under my skin. A preacher's tongue writes my name. Less red ink than black hole. Grief more wrecked than drunk prismatic sun rays i'll phoenix myself for fucking ever if i have to five acceptance <sighs> my star supernovas into stained glass less phobia of my reflection in broken mirrors less crucifying my body to please god's corpse buried under a preacher's tongue less black hole grief more prismatic sun i phoenix myself for fucking ever thank you thank you <laughs> It seems like even though, you know, you, you say you have slammed this poem quite a few times, it obviously still has an effect on you, an emotional impact on you. So I was wondering what yeah. you felt like when you were reading it now. As I was kind of going through, like, each successive number, I it was just such a different experience to, like, not do this in, like, like a performative competitive space and I can just flow through it and I kind of felt a little bit of like each stage like denial anger bargaining depression acceptance and I kind of subconsciously was like like going through like the actual events that inspired some of these lines like the line hide my spectrum from the cathedral of my uncle's homophobia mm -hmm. um I wrote that line because um, there was a family party where um, I was like in the kitchen and my uncle was outside and he made a, ho a homophobic joke and like that made me like really uncomfortable and like 
I already like wasn't like hanging around like people. I just and I often don't do that at family parties. Mm-hmm. But, um, even more after that, mm-hmm. I just avoided him. Mm-hmm. And then I told my, I think it was my dad about it, and mm-hmm. of course he like like had a talk with him. And then, then I remember. I mean, this was still after when I like wasn't subscribing to the religion of my family. But um, we were at church, and um, we were, like, coming back from it. We were, like, about to, like, get in the cars that we, like, came in. And then my uncle, like, comes up to me, and he's like, oh, I'm, like, sorry for, like, this thing I said. And I was like, what? That was, like, a couple months after that event. And I was kind of, like, taken aback, like, the randomness of it, kind of. But, like, also, like, I'm not surprised that like of course apologizing is something he would do because he's like very like honor system like respect like type person Mm. and but just the fact that it happened like and it was like real and like I I don't know I just was like wow that was just a reminder like people can change and like grow and and as much as some people have been programmed like to think a certain way about these things there's still like room for growth like Mm -hmm. just like for me like i of course spent like years trying to figure out what this part of myself meant for me Mm -hmm. and so um for like me to like do that years long process and for that to like consequently result in like other people shifting and growing Mm -hmm. um it's amazing. I had a Reiki session not too long ago with my aunt, and one of the things we talked about was just like queerness and mm-hmm. the, like heaviness or trauma it can hold in like family, but also like the triumphs and joys of it. Um, what we touched on was like how I was like basically the first to come out mm-hmm. um, in my family, and I have a really big family, mm-hmm. and what that did is like caused everyone to start talking and then like I had this like friend group of cousins that would like hang out Mm. um at like almost every party because we were kind of just like not well we were social but like not as like socially energized like everyone all the time Mm -hmm. um and it was just funny how like each of us just like kind of came out at our own pace Mm. like four out of five of us (laughs) Mm. It was interesting, and, and how I kind of, like, set that off, and mm. so, um, yeah, that's just some of the things that went through my head as I was reading this. Wow. It's amazing how much experience can be packed into one line, right? Because this is the mm-hmm. first section, uh, and it's one middle line in the first section. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy that not only does your immediate family sound like they're very supportive, but also your uncle did apologize and that you also had helped your extended family, your group of cousins, to also open up about their sexuality and to let their families know. Because if... You have a large family setting where at parties you might hear homophobic jokes, then 
obviously as a young person, you might think that you will not get the support that you want to get if you come out, right? Yeah, I'm really lucky to like have family that are like accepting or at the very least like willing to like learn from their mistakes and also willing to have that conversation with their children. Yeah, because, like, growing up, I would, like, hear, like, my dad, like, saying, like, stories about, like, uncles who would, like, just have, like, like, traumatizing experiences Mm. for, like, either being queer or, like, just, like, acting outside of the limitation that it is toxic masculinity. Mm. That frightened me in a way, but also because I knew, like, we're in a different country and, like, we're, like, more accepting now. Also, just, like, this time has been going on. And, like, so I just always had the mentality, like, yeah, they went through that, but that doesn't mean I'm going to. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like, it's areas it was for me to like come out to myself like I knew that I wouldn't have to like go through like the same intense things that they did mm-hmm. yeah it, like like it, it wasn't easy for like anyone to accept like it took me a long time mm-hmm. and I think actually my parents dealt with it like a little more quickly because <laughs> um I mean <laughs> I feel like with these types of things it takes more for like the actual person experiencing it to like process it and then with that they can like help others through it like Mm. more easily Mm. even if they still have a little more trouble like they actually came out twice Mm. um the first time was like very uh it was so scary like i think i was like 15 or so Mm. um yeah and um I remember like sitting on my bed like not facing my parents who were in my room Mm. like crying a lot and like just like trying to like express this thing that I didn't understand Mm. um and they kept asking me like about my feelings about men and like all of that and Mm. like every time they asked that I felt, like, scared to, like, say what I was really thinking mm. and also, like, wondering how to express that. Yeah. And, like, that just kind of broke a silence. And I think it was, was like, necessary. Oh, yeah, it definitely was necessary. Mm. But um, just to, like, let them know that I'm not fully who they think I am or like thought I was um Mm. and like that gave me like more more permission to like explore that and eventually like around 18 it was like kind of funny and very informal how this happened um I saw this like thing that was like oh draw someone that's like a great representation for you that's like what I wouldn't see in media and like I drew someone who's like very similar to me Mm. um like a queer man of color that's like parts nerdy and like creative and Mm -hmm. just like doing their thing and like I left I left it in my room 
Mm-hmm. And of course, my dad saw that it looked a lot like me. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, is this you? Like, I found this drawing in your room. And I was like, yeah, that that's me. Mm-hmm. And on the paper, I put that, that um, the character was by. And he was like, oh, are you by? And I was like, we were like in the kitchen, just like sitting down. I was like, yeah. And then he told my mom, who was like right there in the kitchen. Yeah, it was very like not like all over the place or just, I don't know. It was just like casual. And Mm -hmm. I really loved that we could all just have that said and like move on with our day. Mm. Yeah, it sounds like a very, very different experience than the first time, right? Because, uh, as you said, it seemed like you were trying to figure it out yourself as well. And it's good that despite how difficult the conversations seemed, the fact that they accepted it, um, you know, after a lot of questioning, that at least you felt like you had your family's, you know, as sort of like a floor, an emotional floor so you felt uh-huh. comfortable enough to go explore your sexuality more and to really understand what uh-huh. you know you're interested in at the same time i wonder because a lot of the rest of the, the section you talk about again is is a lot of internal working out and there's a lot of imagery associating your body with not only religious imagery but also with natural imagery like the sky and the stars and the uh, galaxies uh-huh. and and but then intermittent with that i feel like the 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 rest of those sections there there are also some sprinkling and hints about how i guess in your process of figuring things out how uh, you were interacting with the outside world outside of your family so i, I was wondering if you want to talk about that as well yeah so with the religious imagery basically like i grew up catholic so that already i feel like explains like a lot of the imagery just my experience with catholicism was like just like that was like such the norm Mm -hmm. like there wasn't really room to like imagine anything beyond that and Mm -hmm. so when i like started trying to figure out my queerness that like was like a gateway for me to like experiment with religion Mm -hmm. as well which was just as heavy as as well Mm -hmm. um yeah just like kind of like juggling those two things was a lot for like a 13 year old um Mm -hmm. and so all of that religious imagery like stems from just my whole life, I was just, like, downloading and, like, installing all these, like, religious frameworks and, like, metaphors and, like, images. And so what I've been doing with these kinds of poems is, like, reclaiming that, mm-hmm. like, for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels, like, very empowering to be able to make those metaphors. Yeah, I had a dream last year, I think, that I stepped outside of a and I felt like all of my dreams were inside of there and mm-hmm. um that was the first time that it ever happened and to me that was like I'm stepping outside of what I thought was possible and I feel like with this kind of poem that's what I 
doing like stepping outside of, of the cathedral of all of these things and like being, being like I can look at it document it and explore outside it and like go on to like other things and with the natural imagery um mm-hmm. I feel like I like latched on onto like all this language with like stars and like the sky and like those things just feel very expansive and ethereal and like massive to mm-hmm. me and I feel like just these emotions feel like so much bigger than me that like it almost feels like one of the only ways I'll I could be able to like explain something of this magnitude mm-hmm. um I also just like love organic natural imagery that's kind of my thing a lot mm-hmm. um, the rest of the sections especially sounded like you were just processing right you're processing your own sexuality and then there's this imagery of the bare-chested locker room boys becomes forbidden fruit, a haunting bane of my reflection. I was wondering about your own process going through trying to figure out exactly where you fit within the, you know, the spectrum of sexuality. That line, the bare-chested locker room boy line is there's like this very vivid memory I have of like being in like the sixth grade and like being in a locker room as a lot of people with my experience do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of common to like just like be in a locker room and like feel like this play between like fear and desire. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels like with each moment that you're like, you want to look, but you don't want to look in a way and it's not like you're going to do anything about it you're, you're not trying to be like creepy you're not trying you know <laughs> you don't mean any harm it's yeah. just like because like you know that forbidden fruit is like right in front of you it's more about the internal processing right so that was like a signal oh right there's this thing that you've been hiding and now, now it's here right in front of you um it just like like my own emotion that came up when when that was happening it just like was like so scary but like it was also like curious yeah and that was before the first time you came out to your parents too right yeah was this incident the first time you had an inkling of that you were attracted to guys uh, it definitely wasn't the first time okay. um <laughs> like before that for like two or three years I just oh my god like there was just so many signals I wasn't allowing myself to process or like I just was like dissociated from them or like I kind of just didn't really know that's what that meant like mm. a lot of it was like seeing attractive men on TV and like fawning over them without knowing mm. or like oh my god just yeah a lot of it was like media i was seeing and like i would <laughs> uh just like searching up like actors and like not being sure i i liked looking at them mm. and it was like this weird thing i would do that like I didn't feel like any like 
guilt or anything. It was, it just kind of felt maybe like hollow in a way. Like this wasn't anything that indicated that like I wasn't straight just because, you know, and like for me, Catholicism just left so little imagination for me. I couldn't even imagine like, oh, this means I'm not straight. Mm. I just like didn't put two and two together for a myriad of reasons and also reasons I can't really explain. But, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I just kind of had all these, like, little moments that, like, for me, like, now it's like, oh, my God, like, that was so obvious. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like, I tried, like, latching on to the few, like, attractions I had to women as, like, Oh, I'm straight, but, like, really, that just meant my preferences are, like, expansive. Mm. For me, a lot of it, like, wasn't necessarily sexuality. Mm. Um, I know that's the language a lot of us use. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like alongside that, what I'd love for, like, more, more people to talk about is to, like, romantic orientation or like emotional orientation because um like emotionally I just felt like very drawn to like women because I don't know for whatever reason um or like femme bulk I just felt drawn to feminine energy Mm. in general Mm. um as like this source of like like no matter who it like was being feminine by you know like Mm -hmm. it could be any kind of bodied person um Mm -hmm. i felt like it was like intuitive and nurturing you know in the traditional sense but like and again like you know what speaking within the western language but just trying to express as best i can just um that vibe felt like okay if i surround myself with this kind of energy maybe a like big myself out more because that's the only way I thought I could experience the male gaze like if I look through the lens of femininity then I find some kind of like masculine approval and in terms of like romantic like um I'm pretty sure the first like crush I had was it was on a girl Mm. on my first crushes were on girls and so that was even more confusing (laughs) um (laughs) yeah that was when I was like 13 and like and another one when I was like 16 yeah that for me really shows me that like I have that like duality for myself I mean in the long run (laughs) I don't really see myself being with a woman body person in the traditional sense like together like romantically Mm. I mean maybe I do but like it's not like up there for me it's like something I could like experiment with and see how much I actually could Mm. develop you know I've had had like crushes on women but that's never really developed into anything mm-hmm. i also just like grew up like, like very timid and like not really asking people out or like explorative but, like i just would witness 
like all these people around me, you know, like asking each other, ah, like this, 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 that. And I was just a slow bloomer. Mm. And for me, that, that was even more on top of like being an introvert. Um, mm. And that's why like queerness for me, it just feels like such a catalyst. Mm-hmm. It's like attached to all these things, like, like being introverted and like growing up Catholic. Oh, it, it's just like such a expansive sight of like energy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, especially when, you know, all, all of these elements, as you said, both not only your religious upbringing, but also your yourself being an introvert and then also trying to figure out exactly where on the spectrum you are in terms of your sexuality and not really knowing that, you know, there are many more choices than just straight and gay. I get certainly empathize with your experience of Puberty is tough already. Trying to figure our identity out is just tough already. Without all of these boxes that um, society even now is still expecting us to fit into. So I'm glad that you have been able to come to accept who you are and also, you know, have gone through the difficult, but seems like at the point where you are accepting you for who you are, which is a wonderful place and having uh, your family support that, which is another huge plus. Yeah, I feel, again, very fortunate to have that. I feel like that's the basis for, like, a lot of my, like, freedom and, like, self-empowerment. They don't even have to necessarily do anything, just the fact that I know Mm -hmm. that they're okay with it like gives me a lot of personal freedom like um i've had two partners who are both guys and that was like such a affirming experience for me Mm. like to know that my emotions all this time were right um Mm -hmm. that that's something i wanted Mm -hmm. that i could explore and it could be like this amazing experience and then also like beyond that just gives a lot more room for like me and the people around me to like step outside the norm like no matter what your sexuality or romantic preferences gender or anything are last night my sister actually painted my nails for the first time and i've like never done that Mm -hmm. um and she's never done that for Mm -hmm. me um, and I feel like it's like little things like that that are like no matter what your preferences are, you can dress how you like. You can you can paint your nails. You can do whatever you know. And I feel like if we as a like collective society, like the more open we are to queerness, the more that gives like everyone permission to be their most authentic self however we see fit and i feel like we're already like seeing that i've noticed a lot more men are like progressively being open to being soft and like sensitive Mm -hmm. in the way that's like authentic like they don't always have to be soft and like all of that you know but they can access that as a tool for when they need it right yeah, and I feel like for 
people perceived as women, it gives their experiences like more affirmation, especially because, you know, under our current society, like, it's like, oh, it's okay for women, but not for men type thing because, oh, if like women do it, it's like, oh, they're just experimenting and also the men like it. Um, but mm -hmm. I feel like when we give everything more humanness and value than those kinds of relationships for like everyone are just more valid and intrinsic beyond what anyone could like get a kick out of it or something like it's not just something you like do when you're drunk at a party or it's not just like a hookup or something yeah like i think it, yeah. it is as you said you know like then people have more options and they realize that they uh they didn't have to choose between just two <laughs> you know and, and the two itself was also you know before all these other identities were named they were much more encompassing at the same time you know there are obviously societal stereotypes about how women should be how men should be um, and that's why i think what you were talking about you are drawn to the feminine energy um or what is considered a feminine energy that i think anybody of any gender can manifest to know that's what you need in your life rather than to say oh i'm just drawn to this particular kind of body or this particular uh, physical manifestation um, i think maybe is more nuanced and more helpful in people's journey in figuring out what their both sexuality and also romantic needs are and i think one of the things that I was drawn to that resonated with me on a personal level is this idea of accepting oneself, accepting the journey of accepting yourself for what you've gone through and to sit with it and to just let it be. Uh -huh. And that's why I sent you my poem, Frenzy, which, uh -huh. I'm, which I'm going to read now and I'll, we'll talk about it. For sure. My favorite, I think, stranger reached the widest publications, so I'm submitting to them in an effort to convince him we're compatible. Though he's adamantly declared his undying love for his wife and family, and I am no longer sure I would be able to live with his flaws. I believe in self-flagellation, though not physical punishment. The word salad that I have no energy to safeguard. The tumbling of electrons bombarding, I regret starting this poem. When I was a child, my family would chide me for not finishing what I started. At some point, I began doing the opposite and stayed too long in hopeless relationships. Something tells me I'm stuck in a rut. I must be gentle with myself in a COVID year. In a BLM's gaining perceptively more ground after the world was horror entertained by snuff films year. In an I'm being reminded that I'm too white and not white enough and still not a man year. In an I can't tell if the daily news of extrajudicial black executions is an uptick 
or the news media feeding us what will sell year. In an I'm afraid of how this will end but can't look away year. In an am I just abusing someone else's pain year. In an I want to cry until my tear ducts call it quits year. In a too many questions in a zooming by year. Oh, oh man. man. Yeah, like when they first read that, I just was like, so many people can relate to that, especially like the last few parts of it. Yeah, oh my god. I feel like you just captured. Like, you kind of tie together your individual and collective experience in a lot of different ways. Yeah. And I feel like that does, like, touch on, you know, the idea of frenzy. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering why you chose the first line to start off this poem. I think it's interesting because um, you start off with, that line, my favorite, I think, Stranger Reads the Widest Publication, and then you end up talking about the year as a whole and, like, all these things happening, and so I just kind of was, like, wondering about how you progressed from, like, point A to point B, what your, like, thinking was behind that. Right. So I tend to write from a line that comes to me that I think of and I'm like, ooh, this is something I can write about. And then I start writing and I have no idea where I'm going to end up. And I write uh, as a way of processing. And sometimes even after I write it, I am not processing as much as when I go back to it and talk about it with someone like for the podcast or something, sometimes, you know, I would discover new things about myself by reading it and discussing it. So the writing process is that really just a line that comes to me. And literally, this is a very literal line when I was going through someone's tweets that someone I had a crush on, I was going through their tweets and I was looking at some of the publications that they were reading, and I was just like, this is the whitest of publications. This is so, so very Euro-American-centric <laughs> publications. And, you know, as I said, he is, was a crush for me, and I had a huge crush on this person and for a long time. And to me, it was very strange because I didn't know why I was crushing on this person, and it was a very sudden crush that developed very suddenly. I didn't know why I had such a intense crush on someone that I didn't know, and it was just weirding me out. And then, of course, this, this crush continued into this year and continued to weird me out. I'm just like, because my crushes usually do not last this long. And so I'm just like, why is this happening? What is going on? And then on top of that, of course, we have COVID and all the craziness. Yeah, the crazy atmosphere that surrounded it. And of course, this was at the height of George Floyd's, the associated, not not only his death, but really the afterwards uh, with all the protesting but also the continual extrajudicial killings of black and brown people that just continue to happen throughout the year despite the protests and and so 
all of these things sort of got into my head. Like I said, I felt like my poem is related to yours because even though yours is much on a much more kind of a figuring yourself out on a much more permanent basis, whereas my poem is more about accepting myself for what I was feeling at that moment and, you know, accept myself for having those feelings because I was now looking back, I feel like maybe I had those feelings for as long as I did was because I was fighting it so much. Mm, I feel that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I see, I see the connection here. Yeah. Yeah, that, that feeling of like, like having this like deep desire and like not really knowing where it's like coming from and then like kind of like figuring that out. Yeah, I, I really resonate with that. Um, and just trying to figure out like source of where it's coming from and then like forgetting that there's not just like external factors there's like internal factors right as to why yeah yeah and this the sense of not having any control over it right and also and there's some Mm -hmm. there are some religious references even though i'm not religious the fact is you know i grew up in this country and there is there's just a lot of religious imagery in this country and I, uh-huh. I feel like they have permeated my writing as well so like self-flagellation for example it is very much rooted in like uh, a certain branch of catholicism i believe and uh-huh. and also the sense of shame that i was feeling because i had a crush on this person who was married and had children and you know in a very happy relationship so it's it's just like a hopeless situation for me so i'm just like why are you so with your you know like there's a lot of self-blame well wanting to stop wasting time wasting my own time on this person um but not feeling like i had control over these feelings uh, and not knowing how to get rid of those feelings I thought the use of the word flagellation was really interesting. At first, I didn't know what it meant, and I looked it up, Mm -hmm. and I was like, whoa, that's that's what it is. It's like basically like a whipping, (laughs) and um, and now that you like say the Catholicism thing, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I, I just thought that was like such a peculiar word choice because um, like I never heard of that term and yeah, not, like the more I like think about it, the more it does sound like it's like associated with some kind of like religious like context. I just think that line overall is like interesting, like believing in that but like not like physical punishment for me the way i saw it was like i'm like expanding up to the stanza it's like that session of like these kind of like random but in a way that feels like i'm being walked through this like thought process like like salad and then electrons i just (laughs) like i thought 
that was almost kind of funny in a way, but like also like very serious and like almost desperate in a way, just like trying to figure out what's going on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, what's happening and what am I doing? I was wondering about what kind of drew you to like create that stanza and that like succession of these lines that feel like they're in the same space but they're like such different topics almost right right yeah i mean i i think one of the more i think modern meanings for self-flagellation is more about self-blame rather than Mm. actual physical flagellation so it's uh, the new, the more modern meaning is much more metaphorical. Uh, and so those things, even though they, you know, they seem like they contradict each other, it's more about how I don't believe in physical punishment, but I do punish myself in self-blame. And maybe I take on too much responsibility. Maybe I take on responsibility that I shouldn't take on, like being so hard on myself or having this crush on this guy and feeling so guilty about it maybe i should just let that go and then the rest of the stanza is about how out of control completely out of control i feel (laughs) just the poem's tone definitely uh, fluctuates between kind of light and a little bit funny and facetious even just you know makes people chuckle a little bit and then getting into the very serious yeah things that make you kind of just want to curl into a ball and cry kind of thing yeah uh, oh boy like the line that like really was like one of the heaviest lines in this poem i feel like is the the second line of the last stanza in the BLM's gaining perceptibly more ground after the world was Horeth entertained by snuff films year. Part of the like weight for me was came from the Horeth entertained like play on the words mm-hmm. thing and I feel like that very much lays out how like a lot of the footage that was like going around was almost like sensationalized in a way and like there was just so many different ways that people were like approaching that footage and like spreading it and then like people being like you shouldn't be spreading this like it's like violent and like traumatizing and like just like all this like chaos surrounding this like footage and i like did see some of it but like I, I didn't, like, want to, in a way. I was kind of like, what is this? Then I'm like, oh, it's this violent thing. And, like, after that, I just didn't, like, want to see, like, anything more. If I saw something, I, like, wouldn't, like, share or anything. I just kind of, like, just, like, seeing that as, like, someone who's, like, non-black, too, is, like, you know, it feels almost like well being brown there's still like you know that fear but like mm-hmm. for black folk i feel like it's especially like particular since they're such a part of like the foundational fabric of america mm-hmm. and 
what, what I've been seeing is that like a lot of from from what I've heard from like friends and just like podcasts, it's like it feel like it's, it's like such a backhand to facilitate the creation of this country and then you have all these things happening to your people. I can really empathize with that in my own way, though not to that degree. Um, Being brown and, yeah, the whole Horace Entertained thing, I feel like, captures that really well. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Like, when I saw the part of, like, snuff films, I was like, why does that sound so familiar? And I Googled it, and, oh, my God. Ah, just the fact that that exists, that people want those kinds of things for entertainment. Like, I knew it was a thing, but to read about it and to put the pieces together in this context just, like, makes so... Oh, my God, it just puts so many things together. I feel like what you did was, like, you kind of mapped what was happening with people's attention with these with this footage and kind of contextualize it in like not necessarily like a white gaze sort of thing like more, more like a collective gaze thing like by because there was so much attention surrounding this footage like it almost like changed what was going on mm. for better and worse in a lot of different ways yeah. I'd love to hear about your word choice in that line. Yeah, I, I wanted to emphasize the snuff film aspect of it. Um, because, again, I just felt like, I think you also talked about it uh, before, that, you know, feeling like, on the one hand, it is important to know what happened for factual uh-huh. reasons. On the other hand for a film of someone, a recording of someone being killed to go viral the way that it did in the way that any marketing clip would go viral. The line between marketing, entertainment, and news and fact, and we need to face the horror for what it was, and what it continues to be is blurred. You know, I have, I feel both ways about it, and that's why I need a hybrid word to describe it. And and I have not seen the whole thing. I can't bring myself to see it. I've read it, descriptions of it. Like for factual reasons, I want to see it, but I haven't. You know, I both want to and not want to see it. Uh-huh. And so, you know, I feel I feel both ways about it. And, you know, like this, this is the year where we can't really go anywhere. So most of our time, if we have that much leisure time uh, for the people who are stuck in and can't do any other kind of ways of avoiding media, this is a year where you're kind uh-huh. of confronted by media. And, and I mean, media, not just the news, but media, the entire spectrum of, you know, print, online, uh, news, as well as entertainment, and also the in-between categories, infotainment. Mm-hmm. The fact that 
because we're seeing it through somebody else's lens, it has a weird emotional distancing effect in that you have to, if you watch something like that, you have to remind yourself that this is real. This is not some actors playing these parts. This is actually real. And you have to constantly remind yourself of that. Uh Because I feel like there's a lot of sense of disassociation, especially this year, because it is so surreal as a year, as what we're all Uh going through, that the clip with George Floyd's murder, I think almost like as a way of protecting our own sanity, we kind of forget temporarily, momentarily, that it is real. Yeah, and I feel like there's like a lot of people who have that privilege and a lot of people who don't, you know? Right. For black folk, like that's just their reality. I like hear it all the time from like friends, just like there's not really like a way for them to like completely like 100% not think about that. Mm-hmm. And yeah uh, like yeah because you know it seems all of us seem so random right because there's there's been so many incidents over the years especially since many states have required police to wear cameras you know um, so that we've seen so many more of these clips and then media is also carrying so many more of these clips and you see the spectrum of experiences it's not just one standard experience right you see so many people doing so many different things um from the minor to the major that um are being used to justify them being killed outside of again extrajudicially and again because we're seeing so much of it i also wonder if we have just become numb to it as you said for people Uh who are privileged enough to not have to deal with this sort of threat in the immediate Uh fashion as someone who has much darker skin um Uh that's why you know my my other line is that I'm, i'm wondering is this is this are these what we're seeing reflective of the numbers um, as as a real uptick in the murders happening, or did we not see them before because uh, maybe media thought we didn't, as the public, didn't want to see it, and then realizing it this year that it can grab them eyeballs and indirectly translate into revenue. Yeah. And so it becomes entertainment in a way. It's just... All of these things, and and obviously I'm also talking about in the last stanza, I'm basically alternating between what is going on outside in the world and what's going on with myself. And as an Asian American female, experiencing some, but thank goodness not too many anti-Asian sentiments because of COVID. I am also in fear for my own safety, but then I'm being looked upon by people in other racial groups as somehow more privileged because of the paleness of my skin. 
and also because of the stereotype of how Asian Americans fit into American society. We are seen as more privileged. We are seen as more well-off. We are seen as less targeted against by other group, which is not necessarily true. Like I was reading articles about how uh, frontline health workers, uh, the death rate between Asian American uh, health workers like nurses uh, were about the same with other minority groups. And that's a piece of news that was not widely broadcasted. Yeah, and like also some of what I've learned in my college was our professor who is Asian, he went through like these statistics between, he like basically broke down how the like range of experiences for Asian Americans, like how the wealth gap between Asian Americans is like really, really large, like I think more than any other ethnic group I'm, I think that's the sense that I got but basically just like how he broke down how like in America there's almost like this monolith created of like all, all these different kinds of experiences when in reality there's just so many different kinds for like the whole spectrum of people who identify as Asian American or Pacific Islander right Exactly. There is a huge range of economic classes within that broad category of Asian American. There is a whole range of different skin colors. There is a whole range of class, access to education, all kinds of things. There is just so much diversity within this one uh, particular ethnic category. You, you can say the same thing with Latinx and even, you know, African-American, right? And because, you know, both Latinx community and African-American community, actually this, the skin color runs a huge spectrum. There could be African-Americans who are white presenting, but they are actually, they are mixed. They're, you know, and you, you never... You never know. And, and it's interesting because when we talk about African-Americans, we talk about Asian-Americans, we talk about Latinx-Americans, there's always some kind of image that comes into mind and it's more like a stereotype and not a representation of the individual experience. Uh-huh. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me about both of our poems today and i would love yeah thank you yeah before i let you go i would love for you to tell us like if you have any favorite virtual readings you'd recommend to people and how people can follow you on social media for sure my favorite by far um readings and open night slams have been with bay area poets unite Mm -hmm. They do events such as the Berkeley Slam every Wednesday, um, I believe around like 8. They also have the Rich Oak Alchemy open mic, I think, every Saturday. And also um, Nomadic Press does an open mic every Friday. They're based in Oakland. Mm. Um, And 
I have a link tree with all the links to like all of my like socials and like a lot of um, my creative projects that I'm working on as of late. And yeah, you can find that at linktree slash dot days are over. And um, you, you just put a dot um, before the two E's in linktree. So it's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash dog days are over. And it's all there. My Instagram in there is dog days are over underscore Hector C. My YouTube channel is uh, schwa spelled S-C-H-W-A wasn't here altogether. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have a Facebook page, dog days are over, HC. I'm excited for like doing more like creative consultation and like um, merge and music on streaming services so if anyone listening is interested you can just check out the link tree and um, yeah thank you so much for having me this was amazing great I'm so glad to hear that I, I enjoyed our talk as well thank you very much again for your time as always, you can find us at poetsandmuses.com as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter at poetsandmuses.com. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast on your preferred podcast platforms. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a safe and healthy week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.